What's up, you guys? Entertainment purposes only episode four coming right at you here. Going to get into some of the games from last week. Going to go over our picks from last week. Got a little something special in there. Going to go over our head coach rankings for every SEC head coach this season. If you don't like them, sound off in the comments. Let me know about it. If you do, like the video, subscribe. Before we get going here, again, brought to you by Arbitrage Racing. I keep saying it, guys. They're the best digital stable in the horse racing game. They just are. There's no other stable in the digital horse racing game that's got the horses, literally, that Arbitrage does. Follow them on Twitter, at Arbitrage Racing. No G in that handle. Follow them. Great group of guys over there. They're doing great stuff in the digital horse racing game. Again, before we get started here, a couple of shout-outs to give, a couple of thank yous. I started last episode talking trash on you guys for saying I don't have a microphone. Well, I told you you could help me out by liking and subscribing. My good buddy Matt Wayman says, like and subscribe. I'll do you one better. I'll just send one of these to your house. Matt, again, so generous, so unnecessary. You did not have to do that. Thank you so much. This is my first episode I'm doing with it, so I hope I'm using it correctly and the audio is way better this time. We'll find out. Thank you, Matt Wayman. My brother, Steven. Senior year of high school, he was in a little band. They recorded some songs. He has lent me the re-recording of one of their songs to be my theme song for this show for entertainment purposes only. Thank you, Stephen. I know he worked really hard on it. So y'all tell him in the comments what a great song it is. It is. It. is. I'm not just saying it is a good song. And here it is right now. Yep, it's a banger. It is a banger, all right. Calling it anything else would just be a disservice. I mean, what can you say? Shout out Dying Big. If you know, you know. If you have to ask, just don't even worry about it. Episode four, week three, recap. We're going to get started with uh, the game that probably was the last one you all watched on Saturday because it started at 10 o'clock Eastern time. That's right. Going back to Boulder to start our week three recap for you. So, Colorado was a big favorite in this game. I believe it closed at a 23.5 point favorite. We did not touch it in the picks we gave out, thank goodness. But 23.5 point favorite. Big in-state rivalry game with Colorado State. Jay Norvell, head coach of Colorado State, decides to run his mouth in the week leading up to the game about taking your hat and sunglasses off when you speak to adults. Clearly a shot at Dion, who likes to wear his hat and his shades at all times, honestly. So just decides to poke the bear there. Don't know why you're doing that when you're already the lesser talented team, but uh, that's what he decided to do. And you got to give him credit. His team showed up. His team showed up. They played a great game, dirty game, 
don't like that. Don't like hitting Travis Hunter three seconds after the play ends out of bounds, knocking him out for three weeks. But we'll get to that in the look ahead because Colorado's going to be a different team now without him. But at the end of the day, they're 23-and-a-half-point underdogs. They went to overtime in the game, lost it in double overtime on a questionable call, I might add. So credit to them. They showed up. But nobody wants to hear about the Colorado State Rams, right? The talk of the sport and honestly has transcended college football, which will happen sometimes, but it's rare, is Dion, Shador, and the Colorado Buffaloes. So they moved to 3-0. and Their season win total in the preseason set by the Vegas oddmakers, by the way, was 3.5. So they're looking good there. Already 3-0 to start the season. Nobody had them at 3-0 this season. If you had them at 3-0 and this season, I want you to show me proof of that because I don't believe you. I think you are a liar if you're saying that right now. Nobody thought they were beating TCU. Not a lot of people thought they were beating Nebraska. And then they handle Colorado State in double overtime this week. So, very good start for Dion, obviously. Now, what's going to happen here over these next two weeks? Like I said, Travis Hunter's out this week. They're at Autzen Stadium. They got Oregon. Next week, they welcomed the Trojans to Boulder. So, for all you haters out there who say they haven't played anybody yet, we'll find out. We'll find out. I'm not even going to say jury's still out because I think the jury is in. They've exceeded expectations wildly. No matter what happens, I'm still thinking if uh, – they make a bowl game this year. Dion should be national coach of the year. I'm not backing off of that. Shador's the real deal. Guys, they're not a perfect team. They took, what, 80-something kids out of the portal. Like They're not going to be this well-oiled machine type of great team. But you know what can mask a lot of flaws on a team at any level of football is a great quarterback. And, guys, I've seen enough. Through three games at the Power Five level, I'm willing to say Shadour is a great college football quarterback. And that's not because he's Dion's kid, which gives him even a greater air of celebrity. He's just a stud. I mean, his, no, he's thrown for what? Over 1,200 yards already through three games? It's insane. Behind a bad offensive line? I mean, what? He's got some decent receivers, but I mean, goodness gracious. They're down by eight points the other night with, what was it, two minutes left? Colorado State punts them down to the two-yard line. They score, get the two, go to overtime, they win the game. I mean, he's just, he's got what you want. He's got the arm, he's got the athleticism, he's got the poise. They asked him on the field after the game in an interview what was going on in his mind to start that drive from the two-yard line when they needed eight points. He just said Brady mode. Just... Okay, just morph into being Tom Brady for the next few minutes. We'll be all right. Well, he did it. Shador's the truth. And biggest test coming, obviously, this week at Oregon. But we'll talk about that on next episode. But, I mean, Colorado, 3-0. and I mean, what else could you want from him at this point? I said it after week one. I'll say it after week three. What else could you expect from this team at this point? And it's just... It's more fun. Having them as a must-watch every week makes a Saturday more fun. It just does. So I'm glad they're here. I hope they stick around. 
And uh, that's our Colorado talk for the evening. As I told you last episode, I was going to a game on Saturday. South Carolina at Georgia was a 27 and a half point spread. <laughs> that didn't come into play. South Carolina is up 14 to three at halftime. And let me tell you, I shouldn't even have to tell you this, but you know, but the vibes in the stadium were not good at halftime. Not just because there was unexpected rain that game that wasn't supposed to happen, but you're down 14-3 to this team that, again, gave up nine sacks in the only other Power 5 competition they played this season. It's It was disturbing. Now, came back out of the locker room, win the second half 21-0 to win the game 24-14. So, Georgia, the perennial number one team in the country, has been since last season ended, even before that, but... Anyway, this year's team, it was known they were going to be ranked number one at the start of the season, and they've held on to that ranking. Just hasn't looked good so far. Through three games, they've played a good half of football, which was the second half against South Carolina. And yet, there was, okay, they played fine against UT Martin in the second half. They played fine against Ball State for stretches. But, I mean, for your first competition against a Power 5 team, and again, one that I don't think is very good, it was ugly. It was ugly. Now, why? Obviously, you're breaking in a new quarterback. He hasn't been good, but I'm not giving up on him. I mean, he's shown enough good plays where he's got it in him. He's just got to be more consistent with it, and that's going to come with time. The offensive line has been bad. And news breaks on Monday that Amarius Mims is out for four to six weeks probably. That's not good. And this is an offensive line that was supposed to be one of the best in the country coming into this season. So, obviously, you lose Todd Munkin to go be the offensive coordinator for the Ravens. And you promote for him within and hire Mike Bobo. Obviously, he's got a history as the offensive coordinator at Georgia. The Casual fans out there on the internet, if you listen to them, you would think Georgia was averaging three points a game on offense like Iowa has the last several years when Mike Bubba was coordinator. Not that he, you know, led the conference in scoring at least one year, probably more when he had his quarterback that he wanted, but I digress. Losing Todd Munkin's a big deal. He's a special offensive coordinator, a special in-game play caller. That is not necessarily an indictment on Mike Bobo. It's just a compliment to Todd Munkin. And you lose that, and you're seeing the growing pains now. Luckily, they were able to come out, find a spark, run the ball, hit some big passes, and score 21 points in the second half against South Carolina to avoid the upset there. But that offensive line especially, there has to be major improvement there if this team's going to three-peat. Because right now, they ain't it. And I was sort of hoping Sunday when the AP poll came out that people would have watched that game and not voted Georgia number one. It didn't happen. They were still number one, not unanimously, but overwhelmingly number one in the AP poll. And I was like, man they didn't really lose any votes. How's that happen? And that's what got me to thinking, segue, who should be number one? Because 
right now, none of the super elites are looking super elite. I mean, Georgia's look pedestrian, as I've said. Alabama's lost a game and looked awful this past week. Uh, Ohio State has done nothing special. Michigan has done nothing special. They haven't played anybody either. I mean, Texas beats Alabama and Bryant-Denny, then come back home to play Wyoming this week, and they're tied going into the fourth quarter. What do you make of that? Florida State manhandles LSU in week one, and they're in a dogfight against Boston College this week. So who deserves to be number one? If we're being honest, who has been the best team this season so far? And I think going forward, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to use my seven-month-old nephew, Mill. He's going to be my sort of hypothetical conversation partner in these situations. He's going to be my example. When I need someone who has no preconceived notions about anything going into this season, I'm going to use Mill as that hypothetical person that I'm talking to to get my point across here. So, because I mean, he's seven months old. Like, dude can't even count to 10 yet. Like, how's he going to have opinions on college football teams? It'd be ridiculous coming into the season. He hadn't even seen a season in his life before this season. So, he couldn't have any preconceived notions. That's why I'm going to do that. So, with that being said, I asked Mill just before we started recording here, I said, Mill, you didn't know anything about these teams coming into the season. So who do you think's been the best team? He looks at me square in the face, throws up on my shirt that I had to change out of before recording and said, obviously it's Washington, Washington, that Washington, the Huskies from the PAC 12 go into the big 10 next year. They've been the best team in the country so far. They destroyed Boise state in week one. They went to East Lansing and it wasn't even a game this week. Michael Penix is slinging that thing. He's probably should be in the conversation for best quarterback in the country to this point. He said, from what I've seen so far, Uncle Ben, Washington's the best team. So there you have it. I mean, to unbiased eyes, Washington has been the best team this year. Now, did I expect them to be number one? No. I mean, they haven't earned that right they don't have that brand they don't get the benefit of the doubt that all the rest of the big boys do but I'll say this as a Georgia fan I'm glad we didn't have Washington on the schedule in the first three weeks of the season because I don't think it would have been pretty now again we're through week three every team has chances to improve I don't think by the end of the season Washington's going to be the best team in the country but through three games if you're being honest with yourself, I mean, who else has had a more impressive three games? I don't know. With that being said, we're going to get a lot of answers on a lot of teams this week. Now, I told you going into last week, I said it's apple picking Saturday. Take the boo. Go do something fun with them. You know, get your brownie points in. Because this Saturday, you know where to be. You know where to be this Saturday. All day, too. The games are spread out. It's going to be so great. But we're getting sidetracked. This is week three recap, not week four look ahead. So, I've been teasing this topic sort of each episode. Not really getting too much into it, saying wait and see. And then last week, by the way, absolutely appalled at the number of you 
who reached out to me saying, Oh, you're just like the rest of them. SEC bias. You can't count Texas A&M as an SEC team when they've only been in for a decade, but you're counting Texas who isn't even in yet. From now on, I'll just proceed my jokes with this as a joke. Might help some of you out. My gosh. Anyway, after week three, SEC kind of stinks. That... They do. SEC kind of stinks. Shout out Missouri for finally getting a big Power 5 versus Power 5 win over Kansas State. Only took the thicker kicker to bomb a 61-yarder. Had the buzzer to do it, but we'll take it. They were underdogs in that game at home, too. See, the SEC starting to get disrespected on those lines. Just, But I digress. Yeah, SEC, I don't know, man. It ain't it this year. And as a Georgia fan, that's not a good thing because our schedule was already so soft, people were going to hold that against us. Now, if there's like actually not anybody good on the schedule and with the way they're playing right now, if they just slip up and lose a game, I don't know. That There's, contrary to popular belief, no rule in the four-team playoff that at least one slot has to go to an SEC team. I'll just leave you with that thought. But I mean, Alabama losing to Texas last week and following it up with that performance against South Florida, what are we doing? Now, rumors floating around out there haven't been confirmed. Jalen Milrow was actually suspended last week, and that's why they went to Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson against South Florida. Saban hadn't said that. I don't know if it's true, but it would make a lot more sense than having that game play out and not putting Milrow in at any point. At Keep an eye on the tide because they they got issues right now. Another team we're going to find out a lot about this week, by the way. LSU destroyed Mississippi State this week. Not a great look for the SEC because what happened in LSU's big out-of-conference game? They got destroyed by Florida State. Could, the, could LSU be the best team in the SEC while losing to Florida State like that? We'll see. Right now, I wouldn't have them ranked any lower than the second-best team in the SEC, I'll tell you that much. Because the other team in that equation for the top four this year, along with Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, was Tennessee. And Tennessee went into the swamp this week, and they got got. I mean, Florida just took it to them. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They were the better team that night. Tennessee looked like it almost didn't belong on the same field as Florida. The Florida team that looked like it didn't belong on the same field as Utah in week one. Not a good look for the SEC right now. And I know all of you who are a fan of a team that's not in the SEC, you're enjoying this because it's been about two decades now with SEC being the best conference and all their fans letting people know about it. Well, If you're an SEC hater, enjoy this year, because so far, woof. So I came to that conclusion the other night as we were riding back from Athens, and I got to thinking, well, of these SEC teams, what if I rank them 1 through 14? I mean, who's the best team in the conference right now? Who's the 14th best team in the conference right now? And everywhere in between. And I got started on that for about one minute 
before I realized is that's just an impossible task. There's, I don't know who the best team is in the conference. I'm pretty confident Vanderbilt's the worst team in the conference. I mean, UNLV, that, and if any of you didn't see the end of that game, it's worth a YouTube. It was only Vandy. I'll say that only Vandy, but those spots one through 13 in the sec. I mean, they, with certain exceptions, they could almost, you could put 10 of those teams in any order and nobody would know who's right and wrong at this point. So I said, that would be a bit silly to do at this point in the season. So what I did decide to do is rank the head coaches in the sec and probably going to get some people mad, get some people worked up, but it's my list and I don't care if you disagree with part of my list, sound off in the comments. Let me know what you think. Have some healthy debate down there. But it's my list. So I really, you know, you can make your list, but this is my list. Number one is still Nick Saban, guys. And I know there's an argument to be made for Kirby. There is. That right now you'd rather have Kirby than Saban. And I might not disagree with that. But at the end of the day, Nick Saban... Show some respect. The man is still the GOAT. And he's still living. He's still among us. He's still coaching. He's the GOAT. He's also 4-1 and one against Kirby Smart. Like, sorry, but he is. And that 2021 SEC championship game? Now, I know Georgia got the revenge in the national championship game. But that 2021 SEC championship game, just, I don't care how bad an Alabama team looks. If I'm playing against them, I'm going to be scared that they're just going to flip the switch and turn into Alabama again. And we'll see if this year's team can do that. But Nick Saban, still the goat. Number one coach in the sec Kirby smarts, obviously number two back to back national title seasons to this point, And that's why I'm still confident leaving him behind Saban. To this point, he has not accomplished anything that Saban hasn't. Saban's gone back-to-back before. He also has five more titles in his career on top of those back-to-back ones. So, now if Georgia three-peats this year, that changes. Saban ain't ever three-peated. So, if the dogs are able to get that done, we might have to revisit this. But, as of now, four and one head-to-head. They've both won a national title game against each other. Again, got to give it to Saban. Number three is where it starts to get interesting. You knew who number one and two would be in either order, but Mark Stoops is taking Kentucky to seven straight bowl games. You can argue in more than one of these last several seasons, handful plus seasons, Kentucky's football team has been better than Kentucky's basketball team. Now, that says something about both of those coaches, but that's for an episode in March, not September. Mark Stoops doing what he's doing at Kentucky is not easy. I mean, averaging seven wins there, it's it would be like averaging 10-plus most other places. It's if not more than that. I mean, Mark Stoops is a stud. I hope Kentucky fans know 
what they have in him. Because if he decides to go somewhere, you go Michigan State or somewhere else, I mean, you're going to realize what you had in him. He's the third best coach in the SEC. Four is Brian Kelly. I mean, won a lot of ball games at Notre Dame. And that's, it's got the tradition. There are some restrictions there that don't apply at LSU. That's why he went to LSU. First season in there, you beat Saban. You win the division. Strong. That's strong. I got Lane Kiffin at number five. Water break. Lane Kiffin at number five. He's obviously at Ole Miss. Now, this is where it starts to get tricky. Those first four, I was very confident on that. These are the four and these are the order that I have them in. This is sort of where the tear break is. And I put Lane Kiffin at the top of this next group because I strictly asked myself, if I was middle of the road, median college football program, and I had an opening, which of these guys would I want to hire? And it's Lane Kiffin. Duke can just coach offense, man. We say it about Hugh Freeze when we're making our picks, but Lane Kiffin, dude, just scores points. He draws up ball plays, and he gets guys open, and he can also his teams can also run the ball very well. I just – Lane Kiffin – a lot of the people who don't like Lane Kiffin, I'm convinced at this point, don't even remember why they don't like him. Yeah, he spent a year at Tennessee. He was unlikable there. That was 14 years ago, by the way. You want to think back to 14 years ago, and if you were likable back then, I know I don't. 16-year-old me was a menace. But anyway, and he's talked about that. He's talked about that. He said he learned a lot from that. He was very brash and didn't really watch what he said, and it came back to bite him at times. Then he leaves after one year at Tennessee to go to USC. People didn't really like that. Guys, I think most people, if they're coaching at Tennessee and get an option to go coach the Trojans, they're making that jump. Just, I do. Like everywhere else in the country, the world doesn't just revolve around the SEC. Like there can be other great prestigious programs, other places too. And hmm, this will be another ranking I do one day is best jobs in the country. But USC is top three and it probably ain't three. I'll say that. So people just decided they didn't like the guy. Gets a raw deal at USC. He had USC ranked preseason number one in 2012, by the way. Y'all remember that? Now, it didn't go so well, but that was not his fault. Remember remember who was there before him? Pete Carroll. And he left. And people couldn't believe he left because they were in the middle of a great run. Yeah, he left because he knew there were NCAA sanctions coming down the way. So Kiffin goes, takes over those sanctions there that weren't his fault that they had. And with the scholarship restrictions they had, builds up the best team he can. Again, people voted them number one in the country. Problem is they just didn't have any depth because of the scholarship restrictions they had. So when people got hurt, 
the guys they had to put in were not good. They got hurt that year. It didn't go well. But dude can recruit. Dude can coach ball. And Josh Pate actually said this about him over the summer. I thought it was a great way to put it from how he is now compared to his younger days when people didn't like him. He found a way to grow up without getting old. He's still very active on Twitter. He gets the young kids. He's still hip, but he's matured. He grew up without getting old, and that's the best way to put it. Out of this next group of coaches, I'm hiring Kiffin if I have the choice. Next up, Josh Heupel. Great season last year. Guys, straight up, his offense, if they have the right quarterback in there, is a cheat code. It's tough to cover. It just, I mean, look at what he did to almost everyone they played last year. Look at what they did to Alabama. Enough said. And by the way, about finding the right quarterback... Nico, he's just sitting there waiting. Milton hasn't impressed. Nico's there. He's ready. NIL deal on everything. Just keep an eye on it. Seventh is Shane Beamer. Shane Beamer of South Carolina. I've got us the seventh best coach in the conference. He's like me when I'm making my against the spread picks. He's streaky. South Carolina will go a month looking like the worst team in the conference, and then they'll end the season beating a top-five Tennessee uh, playoff-bound Clemson if they win that game. I mean, he wins big games. And here's what I like about Beamer. And I think this is a sign, if you're not at a title contender, which South Carolina is not one of those programs, where you just have to be on it each week and each loss can cost you something big. But if you're at one of those places who's, you know, making bowl games, trying to go eight and four, nine and three for a good season, sign of a very good coach and it applies to Beamer in his two seasons so far. Both of his seasons, they've been a much, much, much better team in November than they have in September. Do with that what you will. Number eight, Hugh Freeze, the man just scores points. Now, based on what he did at Ole Miss, I could have him higher. But based on what he did at Ole Miss, I could have him lower. What he did at Ole Miss could have been a high contributor in what he did at Ole Miss. You see what I'm saying? Again, Some of you don't get the kind of stuff I'm trying to do. What I'm saying is him cheating in recruiting and having multiple uh, lines to prostitutes in his school-sanctioned phone, that could have had something to do with the recruits he was getting to have 10 win seasons for Ole Miss and beat Nick Saban twice in a row. So, chicken or the egg, we're going to find out. I think he'll still be able to scheme up, get guys open, Score a lot of points at Auburn. We'll see. Nine, Eli Drinkwitz. I think the man is a good coach. Had one of the biggest wins of the week, as we talked about in week three. Missouri's a hard place to win, guys. It's not just 
set up for you there. And he he gets some guys in recruiting. Make you raise your eyebrows. Say, whoa, how'd they get that guy? You feel like there's one every class or every other class. You're like, okay, so he went to Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Missouri. Why'd this top five recruit go to Missouri? Drink what's got him. What can you say? He's going to be a curious case to see. His seat's getting a little warm, but I think mm, if you're Missouri, grass ain't always greener. I'll just say that much. Tenth is Sam Pittman. He started strong at Arkansas. Started very strong. Things are getting a little sideways on him. It's trending in the wrong direction there. Something to keep an eye on. And if you're Arkansas, please stop scheduling such a hard non-conference schedule. What are you doing? Like you're Arkansas. You're not contending for a title. Your measure of success should be the Mississippi schools and getting to bowl games. What are you doing? Scheduling BYU for a home and home. Scheduling Cincinnati when they had Luke Fickle. What are you doing? Get some wins. Help your guy out. Number 11 is Clark Lee of Vanderbilt. This is going to be a tough season for him. It's they're a year away from taking a step. But when he got hired at Vanderbilt, he did something that I thought was one of the most brilliant things I've seen a head coach do, a new head coach do. For one of his staff hires, he hired Barton Simmons to be the general manager of Vanderbilt football. Now, most of you are there. Who's Barton Simmons? Barton Simmons was one of the lead recruiting analysts at 24-7, one of the ones who evaluates the recruits, ranks all the recruits. He was living in Nashville. Turns out he actually played on the same high school team as Clark Lee. And Clark calls him, says, Barton, I want you to come work for me on my staff here at Vanderbilt. Well, I mean, what, what would I do, Clark? I'm not a coach. No, you're not a coach, Barton. You're going to be my general manager. General manager of a college football team? What, what do you mean? He said, you know how to evaluate talent. And at Vanderbilt, we're not going to be in the run for these four- and five-star guys. We've got to evaluate the talent that's there, that's attainable for us to get. Who better to do that than the guy who is the best recruiting analyst in the business? who just happens to have a relationship with you and already live in the city where you just took the new job. It was brilliant. And in this era of the portal, somebody's monitoring that portal every single day. This guy just entered the portal. We sort of had a relationship in recruiting. He went somewhere else. Let's go ahead, jump in on him, get him to come back to Vanderbilt. It's great hire. And that showed me he's willing to think outside the box a little bit. Clark Lee, Number 11, but keep on trucking. He'll be moving up soon. Number 12, Billy Napier, Florida. Just prove it. Like, you're, I got you 12th out of 14 right now. It, just show us something. Good start last Saturday with the Tennessee win. I mean, 
got a great class too. As of right now, I think Florida's ranked number three in the recruiting class. Keep that up, and uh, you're in good shape. But again, show it to us on the field. Now, here's where a lot of people are going to be mad. My number 13 current head coach in the SEC is Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher won a national title at Florida State. He ain't at Florida State anymore. He's at Texas A&M. Where since he took over, he is 40 and 22. 40 and 22 at Texas A&M. Playing college football schedules. Like, that, they have four non-conference games a year. Three of them are usually cupcakes, and he's going 40 and 22. For what they're paying him, that ain't going to cut it. I do not think he will be the coach of Texas A&M to start 2024. Guy's just not getting it done. He's not. He's trying to save it with Petrino, but, I mean, that Miami game, ugh, we'll see, but I'm not a Jimbo Fisher fan. I think he's a poor coach. I think you put – 75% of Power 5 head coaches at Texas A&M, and six years in, they're a lot better than they are right now with Jimbo Fisher. Number 14, Zach Arnett, Mississippi State. Obviously got the job under tragic circumstances when Mike Leach passed away, and he was their defensive – Zach was their defensive coordinator at the time, so they just promoted him to be the head coach. Guys, they had – an air raid set up with Mike Leach. That's the players they had. He takes over the roster and says, now we're going to play man ball with the team we have. That's that's a defensive coordinator. Just doesn't get it. Not going to be a successful head coach. I'm sure they didn't give him a big buyout hiring him under these circumstances. I'm not convinced Zach Arnett's going to get a year or two. So that's the list, 1 through 14. Again, I'm sure you hate it. Sound off in the comments. Tell me why. Don't forget to hit that thumbs up and subscribe button while you're at it. All right. It's time. Time to recap the picks. Last week, we went 4-9-1. and one. I was feeling the pressure. I was hearing it from every angle. To paraphrase our good friend L.O. Cool J, guys, don't call it a bounce back, but it was a bounce back. Week three picks. Memphis, minus 13 and a half. They played on Thursday night. They did not cover. They beat Navy by four. They also fumbled into the Navy end zone one time when they were about to score, but that still wouldn't have covered the spread, so I'm not going to be all bitter about it. 0-1. Guys, what the heck happened to Florida State? Again, I was en route. To Athens, I wasn't able to get eyes on this game, but 31 to 29 to a, a bad Boston College team. I don't know. We had a minus 26 and a half. Obviously a loser. LSU, we had the typical uh didn't think Mississippi State was gonna score a lot of points, so we took LSU to cover plus the under in the game. LSU just scored too many points for that parlay to hit. They covered the nine and a half easily. But the under 54 and a half part of it lost by half a point. 
Now, going back to something I said last episode. A more novice better would call that a bad beat. That's not a bad beat. They just posted the right total, and it went over by a half point. You win some, you lose some. 0-3 at this point. The Ohio Bobcats are really good. They just are. They proved it. They were hosting Iowa State this week. Yeah, Big 12 Iowa State. Three-point underdogs. Didn't need those points. Won the game 10-7. First winner of the day. North Carolina, minus seven and a half. They were playing Minnesota. Guys, I said, I just don't think Minnesota's any good. I think North Carolina might be. They win that game 31-13, to win by 18. That's another winner. UMass Eastern Michigan, first half under 26 and a half. Why? Because I'm sick, but it was a winner. Three and three. Duke, minus 18 and a half. They were playing Northwestern. I told you, this team beat Clemson by three touchdowns. They should beat Northwestern by three touchdowns. They beat Northwestern by 24. That's a win. Four and three. Next. Next was that game in Athens I was talking about. Ugh. Georgia minus 27 and a half parlayed with the under 54 and a half. South Carolina scored 14 points in the first half, which meant this parlay was impossible to hit. That's an L. Now, we've talked about that parlay strategy. If you think a team, if you want your bet to be a team to not hit their point total, instead of taking that, just parlay the other team against the spread along with the game under. And I figured out an amendment to that strategy. I still like the strategy, but when it's a big spread, that's just such a tight needle to the thread. Like, it's everything's going to go perfect for that to hit. So we're still going to be doing that strategy if it's a touchdown or less spread. That's all. 27 and a half point spread trying to pull that off. Bad play by me. I told you. I told you I thought the wrong team was favored. James Madison at Troy. I said, you're giving me three with James Madison. I'll take all of those. Again, didn't need them. They won the game outright. We're five and four. I'm sure y'all have heard about this, but good Lord. South Alabama dismantled Oklahoma State. We had seven points to play with. Again, didn't need them. I think, what was it, 33-7? to Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what the score was. South Alabama won. Whew. So, last segment in our SEC head coaches' rankings, I basically waxed poetic about Lane Kiffin for like five minutes. Didn't even plan on doing that. It just happened. But our next play was Georgia Tech plus 19 against Ole Miss. We also had the over in the game, 63 and a half. We got it to a point where we had won both. It was over. We had won both. Georgia Tech scored, I believe, to go down 14 or 15, uh, something inside of 19, and there were over 63 and a half points scored with a minute and a half left in the game, guys, and Georgia Tech with one timeout. They onside kick, obviously. Ole Miss recovers. They got the ball at midfield. 
all Lane Kevin has to do is take a knee and the game's over. It's all he has to do. Take a knee, game over. Everybody's happy going home. That is not what Lane Kiffin does. Lane Kiffin decides to put his backup quarterback in, Spencer Sanders. And, well, let's not just take a knee with him. Let's get, let's get, let's get him some, some read option reps. Yeah. First play read option, Spencer Sanders takes the ball, gets about 10, 15 yards. Next play, Spencer Sanders hands the ball off. And his running back, who it was also his first touch of the game, runs through about four Georgia Tech arm tackles into the end zone. And that was our bad beat this week. So Georgia Tech plus 19 was an L, but we still got that over 63 and a half. Clemson minus 24 against Florida Atlantic. I mean, odds makers, look, what are we doing here? Like, yeah, they were bad against Duke. They struggled in the first half against whoever the heck it was they were playing last week. But come on. Is Clemson hosting FAU? Minus 24, easy winner. I told you Colorado, Colorado State over 59. We're in good shape. It's halftime. It's 21 to 14 on pace to hit 70. I said, no, 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 no. This don't feel right. You see, Shiloh Sanders had a pick six for Colorado in that first half. Colorado State had a defensive touchdown on a Travis Hunter fumble in the first half. So we're sitting at 35 at halftime, but there were a couple fluke plays in there to get that score that high. Not to mention Colorado State ran a trick play on offense for another long touchdown. So I'm going to say we're tracking towards the over, but it, it just doesn't sit right with me. Something stinks here. So I went in. Here's the next play I gave out. I took second half of the game under 31. I said, ah, it just doesn't feel like a real 35-point first half. Something, it, they're not moving the ball like that at this point. Let me go take that under and hope I can middle it out. Because that would have given us, you know, about a touchdown. Yeah, over 59 to what would then effectively be under 66. Give us a a nice middle out point there. Or if it goes to overtime, then we could hit, you know, the under in regulation. And then it goes over in overtime. And that's exactly what happened. Just two winners in Colorado, Colorado State. Last play, Kansas was playing Nevada. I took Kansas first half minus 16. They just didn't play that well. That was a loss. Brings the total to 10 and 6 for the week. A lot of talking after last week. Oh, this guy doesn't know know what he's doing about. By the way, if you think that, you can always fade. You can always fade. Won't hurt my feelings. But I told you, we we do this every year, and every year we end up in the in the black and the positives. Trust the process. Trust the process. Ten and six, ten and six, ten and six. We'll take it. Looking ahead to week four here. Now this is the week three recap, so we're not going to really get into the week four games or anything right now. But guys, I warned you last week, 
Get it to where you have nothing to do on Saturday. You have no responsibilities whatsoever on Saturday. Because from 12 to midnight, you're on the couch. little peek behind the curtain here. When I'm picking out which plays I'm going to give out every week, I have a process. First off, on like Monday or Tuesday, I'll just open it up, look at all the spreads, and take whichever ones jump out to me. Last week when I gave out eight on the show, that's what that was. That was before I really dove in and did any other research. Then what will happen is I'll hear what everyone has to say about the games, read up on them, uh, injury reports, that sort of thing. And as we get closer to the game, you just get more of a gut feeling too. And then that's where you make your other picks to round out your card. After the first step this week, I've already picked out 15 plays to give out. Now, we've had 14 plays two weeks ago. We had 16 plays this week. That was just me easing you guys in. Like I said, after the first phase of picking my plays for this week, I've already got 15 of them. So get ready for next episode. We're getting to all of them, plus the other ones I end up adding. It's going to be a bigger card for a bigger day of football. Week four, it's going to be awesome. Can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to talk about it next time. Again, hit that like and subscribe. Again, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Matt. See you next time.